Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am your host, Joshua Tracing. And I am your host, Corbin Hiller. And uh, today we're talking about the 2008 movie In Bruges and the 2007 movie Time Crimes. I did not realize they were made that close together, not on purpose. Corwin, are you ready to talk? Incredibly ready. Uh, all right, where do you want to start with these today? Do you want to start Spanish or do you want to start English? Uh, they're Irish, sir. Are they both Irish? I guess they are both. Well, they uh, mentioned living in London, so I just kind of went with the whole London thing. This, it, this film is very European. <laughs> um, I'm fine with starting with either because I actually have significant notes for both. Well, that's good because I actually don't have a lot of notes for both. Um, nice. I kind of just sat back and watched the movies this week. I'm not even going to make up a reason like something convoluted or special happened. I just felt like watching the movies. Um all right, then let's start with time crimes because I definitely have less to say about time crimes. Um, so, time crimes is a Spanish language film from 2007, written by Nacho Vigalondo, and my God, that name sounds racist. Um, <laughs> it is not. That is what his name is listed as here on IMDb. Nacho Vigalondo. Uh, it, it stars a uh, Cara El Elejalda, Candela Fernandez, and Barbara. Gwenaga. I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> yes, those are names. Those were all names. Um it does I, I okay, do we have all right, so estimated budget, um two point six million dollars, cumulative worldwide gross, five hundred and fifty three thousand. Yeah. <laughs> this I, was a flop. I have never even heard of this movie before before you brought it up. This was a flop. Uh, the basic idea of this film. So I told Corwin um, in last week's episode when we brought up our movies, hey, don't watch, don't read anything about it because it'll spoil the movie. At this point, if you uh, don't want to hear what the movie is about loosely, then shut up the podcast and go watch it and then come back. Uh, if you're ready to have kind of the fun of the movie ruined by us revealing the plot, it's 13 years old. Here we go. Um, so the basic premise of the film is that this dude accidentally gets himself into a series of time paradoxes. Uh, he, he is simultaneously the bear, the, the force moving the plot along in the present and the past um, and the future. Uh, it, it's an interesting take on time travel uh, in a very contained environment. Corwin, what did you think of this? Uh, I really wasn't sure what I was going to be getting into going into this, just because it has such a, a and, and unique feel to it when you first start. Um, I also didn't realize for a significant amount of time going into this that it was Spanish. I just, I don't know what happened. I was just kind of like watching and reading along, and then it finally clicked like, oh my God, this is a Spanish foreign language film. Jesus Christ. So I started over, and at that point, you know, what am I trying to get at? I thought the actual time travel element was well done. You know, they didn't jump into, oh, how does time travel work? Like we talked about with horror movies, you know, where in explaining how it works, you make the movie worse because it just doesn't make any sense. Obviously, no, they were just, the dude was just like, get in the vat. <laughs> he was like, all right, I'll get in the vat. Exactly. So I liked that aspect of it. I liked 
Um, I really liked how they set this up and how they both explained the very simplistic single, basically squiggly line of time and how all the timelines kind of ended up coming together. I thought that was probably the best part of the movie. Uh, that final act all coming together and everything kind of making sense in the end. Uh, what really gave me a bad taste in my mouth was the main character, Hector. I don't know what his frame of mind is at this point in his life, but I just do not understand both his decision-making process and the what must be just crippling depression that causes him to just not give a shit about the wild things going on around him. Oh yeah. I have, so I have a total of four notes written for this film. And one of these is all this to see some titties because, Oh my God, Hector, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Like I just could not like there are movies where you watch it and it's like, okay, this main character is just straight up dumb. I just, I don't understand how that would work. Like, but okay, this character, they do their thing. That's fine. This guy, it's just like, he's getting chased by a murderer. And it's like the second he is gone from his view, it's like, Oh yeah. He has no concept of object permanence. (laughs) Like when he goes into the silo and he's safe, he goes into the machine, comes back out, bright as day. Clearly something fucky's going on. Let's waltz outside. Where I was just running from a fucking psycho murderer that I think just killed this woman that I was creepily stalking. Let's just go see what's going on. I just, I couldn't get past this guy. Oh yeah, no, he is, he is the single stupidest man alive, but also that stupidity was required to make the plot go forward from the beginning. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get an argument out of me that Hector... I mean, it took him a long time to get explained. Sir, you've traveled back in time. And he's like, but why is the sun out? And the guy's like, because you traveled back in time. And he goes, well, what day is it? And he goes, the same day. He goes, that's impossible. He goes, because you traveled back in time. <laughs> Hector's just sitting there like, I don't get it. I have to go see my wife. <laughs> and the guy's like, just like, I no. Get to, like being wildly confused when traveling through actual time and space. Not even space, just time. Um, just because no one would ever, like if that happened to you, you get into this machine and you just you happen to go through time. I would imagine you would have a lot of questions, and the very simple answers of "you travel through time" wouldn't exactly satisfy that. But just being like, "Hmm, okay, let's go home," is not how I would have reacted. I got. I gotta say, I, I just thought of this now. I'm going to pose it to you. I I vastly more so appreciate Hector being overly confused to the point of being a fucking idiot. To uh, sometimes in movies where like bizarre, insane sci-fi things happen to them, and they just readily accept it. Oh, you know, oh, where it's yeah. like you don't even need to explain it to them. They're just like, oh, oh, I traveled back in time. Yeah, of course I did. Like, why? Did they, why else did I get in the vat? Like, that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Independence Day just jumped out to me. It's like, oh, we're getting invaded invaded by aliens. Let's go kick some ass. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's not question any of what's happening. Like we are fully committed to, to the results of this. Um, so I do, I do appreciate Hector's foolishness. I guess in that respect, it's better than the alternative. Um. Yeah, I just. 
So that so, is just like such a big thing for me. I just could never get past it. I, I again, <laughs> you're not wrong. So you know, one of the reasons I had I had a hard time writing down notes for this is that it it follows the plot. And god damn it, you could really really just tie so much of, of the first part of this to Hector being just the world's so so there's there's three versions of Hector. Right? We got we got OG Hector, we got Hector Prime, and we got Hector Three. Uh, or as they say in the movie, one, two, and three. Uh, so o- OG Hector gets pulled out into the the forest uh, behind the house. He's just look. He just bought with his wife. I, I, I you presume from the film to go investigate a topless woman, and <laughs> while his wife is gonna go to the store, <laughs> what he was gonna do when he found her, I don't know. But that seemed like his plan. <laughs> And then uh, he gets attacked by a dude with bandages on his face, and this escalates him to running away into the deeper end of the forest, finding a a, a lab, going up into a, the top of the silo, the, the silo, going into a vat, and then time traveling, and then. Hector 2 becomes the man in the bandages because he was trying to kill Hector 1 to go find his wife. Like, the reason for why Hector was doing, in the first two versions of himself, literally a single thing that he was doing is insane. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's... That's probably uh, my longest note. Yeah. I, the actual things that he's... The logical conclusions he's come to are ridiculous. At the same time, I can believe that there. I'll put it. I believe that there's a person out here in this world that would do all of these things, though. Like, if these situations were all there, I would go like, "Oh yeah." Like, how many people are still supporting the political regime? (laughs) Like millions. Like, how many people would go wandering into the wood for some titties while their wife was at the grocery store? A few thousand, at least. Like. I I could see a guy this average, both in face and body type and hairline, going off to go do these things. It's just like, so I don't know the name of the character, but like the guy who's helping him. The scientist? Yeah. I guess his name doesn't matter, but like, he's like, all right, you just need to get him back in the tank. And if you don't, you're going to die. That is the only, you know, the only MacGuffin that he has here is getting Hector in the tank. And he's like, all right, I need to recreate everything I just saw to fit it perfectly. And that's not what he was supposed to do. He was just supposed to get him in the tank. So, like, he spent so much time, like, trying to perfectly recreate the scene and, like, like, center her perfectly and be, like, the exact same image. And it's like you don't need to creepily knock this woman unconscious and like strip her down naked in the woods for your past self to find. You just need to literally get him to walk over there, stab him in the arm or not even do that and just chase him towards the tank. There's just no reason he had to do all of that creepy ass shit. It just drove me insane. I went back in the movie in the middle of watching it for the first time to make sure that was not like a, you know, one of the things he needed to accomplish. It's like, no, just get him in the tank. Drove me insane. 
did they really did he really did the scientists really not say you have to do all the things nope, like how you the tank. oh that's funny because uh, I was going to say one of the the things. So there, there's a few different types of, of of time travel depending on the rules of the film that you're in. And this one, I had thought you're making me question it, <laughs> and I guess I should because I just kind of assumed. But this one, so like this one supposes that the 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 time travelies intertwining with each other are basically set on a predetermined path based on their previous interactions which means that like they're they're a a, a constant self-fulfilling prophecy because of how their previous interactions have gone and they're setting the stage for those interactions going forward with the information that they had in the previous meetings and that's different from like um back to the future time travel where like things can get changed willy-nilly and it like doesn't matter you know, the end result's the same, which is, I guess, Corwin, what you're saying, this really should have been, which again, I'm not going to argue because I, I didn't fucking pay attention that close. Um, but it, there, there are a few different like types of time travel. And I found this one to be the most, to, to be pretty interesting because of how tight the story has to be for all the pieces to fit. And while, as we've said, the motivations are highly questionable, it is interesting to see just it's it's almost like watching the movie get made while it's happening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, it's what, just one of those things where it's like this if, if they just wrote Hector to be just a tiny an ounce bit smarter, just an ounce bit more like having of emotions god that's just a terrible sentence but like if he just had an ounce of emotions more than what he could like had in the movie this would be so much better like the scene where he's initially being chased by himself wearing the bandages incredibly calm as soon as he's out of eyesight just having a just willy-nilly walking around breaks into a building oh let's check this out food court all right we're in a lab cool hanging out Yo, he jumps from calmly exploring the building to throwing a goddamn rock through the window so fast. Oh, yeah. And, like, at the end of the movie, well, later on in the movie, when he ends up killing who he thinks is his wife, boom, straight back to the, the silo. All right, let's just move on. Yeah. No reaction whatsoever to killing his own wife. I just well, could not get past that he, part. He did act like pretty stunned, you know, like he just kind of like it was supposed to be like an understated, you know, he kind of like fell back as he like walked back in through the house through through the window and you know, he didn't even he couldn't even bear to like look at her t- long enough to realize that it wasn't his fucking wife. <laughs> right, but, but like I so uh, and he and he knew I, Yeah, I know, but he also like it must have occurred to him pretty quick that, like, hey, if I can go back in time one more time, I can probably save her life. So, I that didn't bother me that much. Um, no, I don't it, think I could mentally just like let's just put all my eggs in this basket of maybe I'll just be able to go back in time again. Let's just hope that's how that works. The, <laughs> the, assume that I could not kill my wife. I, I really just think that the most damning thing on, on, on Hector the character or Hector the person is is like you could have just gone home. 
<laughs> where 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 the phone was, where yeah. the doors lock, because like that's the thing that, uh, especially Cal kept bringing up, um, you know, in like a little lighthearted, like why are you doing this kind of manner is like, so when he breaks into the into the lab, he can see his house from there, <laughs> like, like it's it's not that far. Well, I get you think that there's a killer like, out there, but like a you quarter just, square mile. Yeah, just like go back. <laughs> it's right there. Um Honestly, like this would be like filming a movie in my backyard. <laughs> I, I do I do appreciate like the very low budget nature of it. Um I also uh I don't know, I I, I kinda dug it was a it was a little bit gritty and you know they got what they paid for, but although although apparently they paid two point six million dollars, and I do not know where that money went, but <laughs> apparently it, all of it was spent on very large vats. But yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, probably bought an actual time machine, and it was like this will make a good prop. So let's let's leave that character of Hector to the side for a moment. What did you think about how the plot actually went? How they handled the uh, all of, all. Of, Two, I guess just two, two of the time travel events and the three hectares. Um, how do how do you feel as though they they did with it? Uh, I touched on it a bit. I I liked it. I thought they it ended up coming out very well. Uh, you know, it all made very inherent sense while you're watching it. I know that you know some time travel movies <laughs> primer. Uh, end up just being <laughs> wildly confusing, and you just have to watch it like four times to understand. Yo, I love on. Primer. <laughs> I love Primer too. It's but just, it's you know, super confusing. The first time I watched it, I was not sure what happened in any capacity. Um, so I like that it was very easy to follow um, because I felt smart. Um, but yeah, yeah, it worked out well. It made sense. There was enough there where it's like, okay, you could see how all of these things were pieced together. You know, the the clues that cue you in throughout the initial story, the initial timeline, I guess, you know, they are noticeable and you're like, oh, that was something. But it's not like this is clearly a sign from the future type shit. Right, 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 right. Uh, real quick, as you remind me, that's another version of time travel in which multiple people end up coming out of the uh, by the end of the story. Because Primer, like, there was like just in the movie, I think there was three of what's his face and four of the other guy. Um, and what's interesting about the time crimes is that there are three Hectors all existent at one point, but Hector one will end up eventually kind of being the only one as they all run the course of the rest of the film. So they all kind of take care. And that's one of the things that the science guy said. Is he was like, look, Hector Hector 2 is going to come here at the end of the day and become Hector, become you. So like, don't even worry about it. Just get him here. Um, which is another interesting take on, on the sci-fi world. So the end of the movie, plot-wise, is uh, Hector... When he's bandage Hector kills his wife by mistake. It was an accident. She fell. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, I gotta go back in time again. This thing I I that took me several minutes to be explained and I still didn't figure it out. Um, I gotta go back to save her. And so he goes back, he <laughs> he decides <laughs> decides to 
He decides to ram his car into Hector 2 for reasons unknown and knock himself unconscious. <laughs> I just oh. I hate that the explanation for that was, well, that's what happened to me in the first timeline, so that's how it has to go. And it's like, just just do something different. I thought I thought it was it was even stupider than that. I thought it was Hector being like, if I kill him, <laughs> he can't kill my wife and then i won't have to do anything but either way it was not well reasoned you could have once again hector you could have just gone home i never once thought about it was you know him trying to kill himself well because when he was when he was bandaged hector he kept trying his his goal was to kill hector too because then he I don't remember because oh because he wasn't con- he still wasn't convinced it was time travel yet so he kept trying to kill Hector too because he thought he was an imposter when in reality it was just he was just looking at himself but earlier in the day and so I think that never really like fully clicked for him it yeah it was uh, weird the explanation <laughs> but, of Hector's just stupid makes way more sense oh yeah the, <laughs> the dude is a big old dum dum uh, is a mess to himself. So he thinks he thinks he he killed his wife. So he ends up going and interfering with the first two thirds of the film, but in a much more subtle way. You pretty much see Hector two coming the entire time. You know, Kel yeah. called it like I don't know the second time you saw the bandage dude. He, she was like, "Is that him?" And I was like, "I don't know." Uh, but the third Hector does tamper but on a much quieter and more uh, low-key scale. And that ends up culminating with the woman that Hector had bandaged, Hector had killed, actually wasn't the wife. It was just to look like that so that he would continue the events from the beginning of the film and go piss off, whereas OG Hector had actually saved his wife um, from the quote-unquote intruder without letting her know what was going on. And then the movie ends with him just allowing the remaining events uh, to unfold. I just, I really love how, like, by the time Hector One is like at the point where uh, he's saving his own wife, he does not give a shit. Not that he really ever gave a shit, (laughs) but he was just just kind of a dick. (laughs) He was just like, "Let's go! Come on, (laughs) we're gonna sit here." It's going to start raining on us. I don't care. The police are coming. Fuck it. Let's just get out of here. <laughs> like one of, one of the best moments was uh, when he, when he threw the battery into the, into the woods and was like, <laughs> just, just, just so you get fucking beat up a little bit later. <laughs> like, fuck you. Uh, I will say I just rewinded back to uh, the point in the movie. Uh, the exact point is 23 minutes, 58 seconds in where he's getting out of the tank for the first time and it's daylight, you can see Hector 3's arm in the background. That's so crazy. Yeah. Because I, I meant to do that earlier when they showed the, I guess it was a flashback of him hiding back there. It's time travel. It doesn't make sense. Um, and I was going to see if he was there at you know earlier in the movie where you could have seen that going on. Um, and yeah, it's there. That's cool. Um... It's a very, very easy thing to just throw in there. It's not like it's like, 
just have a dude stand there with his arm hanging out. <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely not the main focus as you're watching this dude uh, emerge from the fucking time travel tub. Yep. So, I, I don't really have too much else to say because, again, this movie just kind of like, it's a ride and you're just on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, the, the acting is fine enough. Uh, the motivation is questionable, but, like, it, it fits enough. The guy is dumb, and that's just kind of what moves the plot along. Uh, and it's mostly about the story, and so I don't really have too many other notes. Do you? Yeah, I'll, I'll run through what I have left. Yeah, um, go for it. He has amazing use of his arm throughout this entire movie. Oh, the one that got stabbed? Stabbed in the arm. Just straight yeah. through his arm. Yo, he, he slaps a bandage on it. Hands after that. He but. slaps a fucking bandage on it, and then just like, well, I am fixed. <laughs> Speaking of the bandage, when they have like the white liquid that the scientist was very concerned about and like they show dripping off of him and like burning through the carpet of the second car he's in never comes back in any meaningful I, way. I, I've never explained. I know. I So I remember w- watching it the first time and was like, oh, shit, that's going to be like a tell mm-hmm. or like he's going to. Yeah, he's gonna like like fucking come on his wife's face later, and it's gonna burn all her skin off. Nothing straight out of the league. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Uh, yeah. Um. So, I I want to know what would happen if he just Hector two just stopped instant, like stopped getting involved and being the catalyst for that line of events. And he just let the dude go about his day. Like, would the early dude disappear? Like, would Hector one disappear completely? Would Hector two continue on with his life, and the one Hector would just disappear? I know he said the scientists that both would cease existing. I just don't get how that would work. Then again, time travel. So, just don't think about it. Is the best explanation. Um. I just it, I want to dig into that more, but I, it's not necessary. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's tough, and they did a great service to all of us by not explaining it. I have to admit, though, like it just the last thing is just like the the like the S curve line that they showed demonstrating the uh, the movement of time was. Like looking back, very simplistic, obviously, but very effective at like piecing my way through this story. Yeah, because it it shows the very clear overlap, which which mm-hmm. is the entire basis for this film. So it, it's it right. seems like like a scientist trying to find the world's most simple way to describe this phenomenon to a man who is clearly punching way above his belt. Um, <laughs> But but it it it's literally the movie. The movie entirely exists in, in that overlap from like from the beginning, from the jump. The movie starts on a phone call that Hector makes to himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that did not click to me until he actually made the call. That was the one thing that I missed, as like seeing like and calling early on. Yeah, the only reason I, I, I knew that going in was because I'd seen the movie already. But it's uh 
it's, it's a it's a great set in the state. It's a great early thing that you're not going to think that much about because like that shit happens all the time. Yeah, exactly. And like it's early on enough where it's like you don't know where the storyline is headed. Did you, you did you stay true that. to to your word and did you did you read anything about it before you watched it? No. Good. about it. There was. Mm, I shouldn't say this. Police, cover your ears. There was only one torrent for this. I it might be my work. old laptop. <laughs> and it just like it didn't even work, so I had to rent it. I paid for this movie. Did Netflix. you really? Yeah, I paid four bucks to watch this. Oh my god, I can't I can't believe yo, that's the only four dollars that's made. Hold on, I have to update IMDB's page. <laughs> I have to go I I have to go update their cumulative worldwide gross from five hundred and fifty-three thousand one hundred ninety eight to five hundred fifty three thousand two hundred two <laughs> mom if you're listening to this uh you paid for this so thanks <laughs> thanks mrs h uh she doesn't listen to this no one does uh any other notes uh, no that's it for uh that's it for time crimes all right then give me give me a final rating and review um, I I really like how everything comes together well in the end. Um, and narratively, everything makes excellent sense, especially for a time travel movie. I just cannot get over Hector's just basic incompetence and thought process throughout this movie. I wanted to give it a three. That was my initial reaction, just because it's, by all means, it's an enjoyable movie. Um, and you know. I would recommend watching it, but after seeing the other movies that I gave threes to, I bumped it down to a two point five because <laughs> it is not on the same level as like The Invisible Man and Rocket Man. That's fair. I I think that again, I'm a I'm a fan of context playing a role here. This is what I will again. I cannot believe this movie cost two point six million dollars. So I'm just going to keep referring to it as a small budget indie film because that's how it's shot, and therefore that's how it will be treated. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, my gut is to give it a three. I'm going to stick with it. It, it's, it's a sci-fi movie, and sci-fi movies can either be, um, Star Wars, or they can be Planet Nine from Outer Space. <laughs> like, and the in between's not a lot. You know, the in between is sparse. So I think this is, I think this is really good. I think it's captivating. It, it starts off pretty much right in it from the second the man picks up the binoculars, which one of my four notes is who actually has binoculars. Uh, but it's, it's a fucking, it's a fucking ride. It, it's, it's pretty quick for all things considered for how many, how much they're juggling here in terms of timelines and, and uh, all, all the whatnots it's 92 minutes. And you, you, I'd be pressed to say you could shave a fucking second off of it uh, and have that be any, uh, beneficial in any way to the film. I yeah, I definitely I, appreciate that this was like ninety two minutes. Oh very, my god, yeah. Compact, very yeah. That. Yeah, this is this is definitely not a movie that deserved to be like any longer than it was. So this it they they did right by keeping it as tight as they possibly could. So I'm gonna give it three. I'm gonna give it three though with the caveat of it's got it's a sci fi three. You know, it's it's like a mm-hmm. budget sci fi three. But it's a fun fucking kinda movie. Like, kinda like how the thing is like a three and a half four as a old horror movie. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. The the context is key for this one. But I I did, did so. But you liked it. Very much liked it. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Right on. All right, then uh, let's turn our attention over to, to 2008. We'll bump it up a year and go over to Belgium for In Bruges. Uh, this uh, 2008 picture was written and directed by Martin McDonough, starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and Ciaran Hines. Hines, Hines, who knows? Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, uh, it's about a, a um, two hitmen... One of them accidentally killed a kid, and their boss told him to go to Bruges, Belgium, um, to wait out the heat, so to speak, for up to two weeks. Um, it was made on a $15 million budget. It's cumulative worldwide gross. Corwin, you want to venture a guess? Uh, $80 million. $34, $34 million. Yeah, that's a shame. So, you know, it, it still made... Um, uh, double its budget, so that's still a my, mild success. And for what is ostensibly an indie film, that's definitely rather successful, doubling your investment. Uh, Martin McDonough is is uh, a, a guy that people might know most recently from three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Um, he also won an Oscar in 2006 for a short film called Live Act. Oh, sorry, for Six Shooter. Um, I've never seen it. In Bruges itself was nominated for Best Writing Original Screenplay, also for Martin McDonough. And uh, Corwin, what do you think of this movie? Oh man, I mean, this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I I love the humor in it. I love the dark comments and just I, I what's the right word for it? Just like childish humor that it has sometimes. Um, every time I watch it, I forget how bloody dark it is, um, and just how emotional and deep it gets. And having those two aspects, that Venn diagram coming together, uh, it just fits beautifully. Um, you know, Brendan Gleeson and Colin Firth play off each other so well, have such great chemistry. And then like three quarters of the way through the movie, halfway through the movie, Ralph Fine comes in and just steals the spotlight. Um, you know, this is this is one of those movies where I want to recommend this to everyone and have everyone I talk to about movies watch it, but I fully understand that the tone of this is very much not everyone's cup of tea. Um, but I don't care because I love it so much. I I am going to have a very hot take on this. Um, I hate the first third, the first act of this movie. Hate it. I think acts two going around in Bruges. Yeah, it just it just doesn't engage in a way that the that acts two and three do because you don't understand what the what the uh, uh, the stakes are yet. Like you know that it's it's quiet, you know that it's somber, you know that uh, you learn relatively quickly. I'll say that Ray killed a kid when he wasn't supposed to. Um, and that he's obviously sad about it, and like, and, or, or guilty, remorseful, all the better words than sad, but he's sad. Um, but it just, man, it just, I just don't. It, I, I've seen this movie like a bunch of times because, like, acts two and three of this film are absolutely phenomenal, and we're gonna jerk them off later. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guarantee it. Uh, but man. 
and I was trying to tell tell this to Cal because like for it, it it moves slow and it feels slow and it pays off, but I cannot stand the first third of the first act of this film. But um, man, act two is a blast, and then act three just fucking slams its fucking fist down on the table. I'll tell you that. Um, damn, yeah. So so bas- basically, you know. I, Loosely described it already. Ray Ray Collinford's character was supposed to kill a priest. He did. While doing so, he accidentally killed a child. And the presumption is again that their boss, played by Ralph, uh, I always pronounce his name incorrectly, Fien Fine Fienus Fines Ralph Fines, who, oh my god, I love this version of Ralph Fines so much. Who always plays such like buttoned up characters, whether they're military personnel or hotel managers or what have you uh, to see him Voldemort yeah or Voldemort very buttoned up Voldemort god I constantly forget who is Voldemort those Harry Potter movies are like it's just such a great transformation but go ahead but yeah it's it's really interesting to see but you know what even Voldemort's like a pretty I'm not gonna say he's buttoned up but he's a very verbose well-spoken dude every other word out of Harry's mouth is fuck and he does it in this fucking like like I don't know what the equivalent of a Southie accent is for for England, but it's that. I keep uh, wanting to do like quotes, but I just know I'm gonna butcher the accent so bad. I'm just biting my tongue. It's like he's trying to do his best to talk through his teeth, and it's phenomenal. You're a fucking inanimate object. It's it's like it's like imagine imagine someone had stapled your top lip to your nose, and that's how he talks the entire movie. And it's amazing. I'm physically holding my upper lip to my nose, trying to see what that would be like. You're Ad- an inanimate fucking object. Yeah, all right, that's actually not bad, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that that's most of my takes. <laughs> so, so, so it ends up turning out, in eh, depending on who you are, relatively unsurprising terms that Harriet actually sent the two of them there to have the other bodyguard, or bodyguard, hitman, um, Ken, played by Brendan Gleeson, kill Ray um, as a result of Harry's strong moral compass and that you shouldn't get away with killing the kids. Uh, meanwhile, Ray has a, has a blast in, <laughs> in Bruges. He thought he was going to hate it, but he's uh, he's shooting blanks in people's faces. He's trying to slam ass. He's he's partying he's with dwarves. Ass. This is a great time, right? He's not trying. He's succeeding. Yeah, he is, buddy. <laughs> so what do you, what do you think? I, I think it's safe to say this movie is really about Ray, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about Ray's arc throughout the film? Oh, I love it. Um so like a lot of this movie is you know this i know how much you love symbolism uh and to me this is one of the most symbolic movies that you know when i watch it i see it you know that that doesn't always happen um you know when i watch the way you know you watch movies the way i watch movies it's you see these the symbolism a lot better than i do this is just one of those movies where it clicks for me and I just love every aspect of it. Um, so before I dig into the Ray aspect, you know, I see this as Bruges is the purgatory they are in waiting for their judgment on what happens after this, you know, awful event with shooting the child. 
you know, and Ray and uh, Ken are in this together, just trying to wait this out, see how it, it goes, all that. Um, and seeing Ray's transformation throughout this is just, it's like watching a child mature uh, and, you know, learn. Uh, you know, he's just so childish throughout this movie. That's totally fair. And, you know, he, the reactions he, and emotions that he expresses uh, is just so childish in nature. Um, you know, he really, you can see the growth of the character throughout. Like uh, the one that I saw and noted down early was his verbiage when he's talking about dwarves. Very early on, he is just midget, 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 midget. He f- has this conversation with Chloe about working on this film about the dwarves. They have that talk, you know, he asks her out on the date, he goes home, wants to tell Ken all about it, like, you know, a kid coming home from his first day of school, and he's like, oh, and they're making this movie about midgets, and then stares off, has this, you know, deep internal thinking, like, ah, shit, I shouldn't be saying that, and then the next morning they're talking about it, and he's like, whatever it is, he uses the term dwarf in context in conversation and it's like okay you can see it like he's actively trying to say you know be better about this and make those changes and you know it comes and goes as you know tension and emotions ride that roller coaster throughout but i really like watching his his growth throughout the movie i think it ends up being you know one of the bright spots of this and you know, seeing the remorse and that raw emotion throughout for what he's done and all those things. And definitely something I really enjoyed. What do you think um, to, to, to go along with the whole, you know, Bruges purgatory kind of business uh, and they're, and they're awaiting their judgment. What do you think I can, Ken makes for an interesting backdrop against Ray because Ray is like the, he's fiery, he's young, he's constantly swinging around in his emotions. You know, he's going from very distraught to, he's basically manic. You know, he's going from very low lows to very high highs, whereas Ken's kind of just riding this one pensive wave throughout the entirety of the film. What do you think we're supposed to be getting from him in this? Um, I kind of thought of him like going back to this purgatory, you know, symbolism. I kind of viewed him as I, the religion aspect of it is something I'm significantly less uh, aware of, less, you know, attuned to than others just because I did not grow up in a very religious household. But I kind of viewed him as like the guardian, like the angel kind of overlooking him throughout this, just like keeping a full eye over him, whatever it may be. Uh, I don't love that analogy, but I just I don't know what else to view him as. Not a um, not a lot of lowercase T's on the walls in your house. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's that? <laughs> Where'd you get that? What, a cross? Yeah, a cross from where? <laughs> That's from uh, that's from Arrested Development, right? Yep, that's uh, maybe not knowing what a cross is. <laughs> love it, love it so much. Oh, uh, but yeah, yeah. Just say, yeah it, it it is for a lot of reasons because we also can't assume that these guys are good. Like, there's, there's a, do you think there's a better chance that that 
that I don't want to like dwell too long on this, but now I'm just curious. Harry can't be God, you know, like yeah, Harry, well, Harry's got to be Satan. Yeah, right. No, it was like trying to think my way through, like how I was going to make that analogy. It was like, Oh yeah. So Ken's probably this angel and Harry is like the final. Okay. We can't make that. Cause that's not working out too well. Um, yeah. Cause Harry's yeah, terrible. Harry is definitely Satan. Yeah. He's, he's gotta be. <laughs> There's no question about that. Uh, uh, one of my, one of my favorite respect, you do have to respect the honor code that Harry lives by and just how dutifully he, he respects it and lives by it. Well, so, so that's one of the interesting things about, about how the film ends. So basically, um, the, 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 the dwarf that appears pretty regularly throughout the film, uh, ends up, he's shooting a film of his own or he's in a film per se that that's being shot in Bruges. And the, in the final scenes of the film, uh, the dwarf is dressed in like school kids clothes, like a, mm-hmm. like a, like a school uniform, uniform of sorts. And when Ralph fine, fi- finally shoots Ray, he ends up using, um, exploding tip bullets that pass right through Ray and hit the dwarf in the head, exploding his head. So you can't tell it was a dwarf. All you see is a is a child sized body in a child's uniform. And then Ralph finds ends up killing himself because he killed a kid, much as Ray did. Uh, and he believes he killed Ray. Ray is still alive at this point and is trying to tell Ralph Fiennes that he didn't kill a kid. And Ralph Fiennes refuses to listen and ends up killing himself because of his honor code. And yeah, like Ray, Ray is on essentially, you know, last breath trying to get this out. And he's like, no, don't understand. I'm not going to let it go. Like, you got to live by it, which is what he said earlier on. Like, if I kill a fucking kid, I'd fucking put the gun in my mouth, blow my brains out right away. There's no living with that. But what I find interesting about this, the that suicide scene, because there's a lot going on. So mm-hmm. Ray is dying ostensibly he's been shot i kept track i think five times it's a lot Uh, (laughs) all like four um but at at the end of the day it doesn't matter yeah it really doesn't matter i i i I watched it last night i already kind of forgot five was kind of a guess anyway um and he's still trying to try to try to talk to ralph fine to 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 tell him that he didn't break his code of honor because he knew he was going to kill himself and that shows a lot of virtue in a really weird way because now, you know, this could have just been self-serving of the script in that, you know, it gave Ralph Fiennes one more chance to say on screen, like, I, this is my reason I have my code, blah, 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 blah. But it's, it's, it's an interesting point for, um, uh, for Ray to to even attempt to make with what are assumed to be very many of his last few breaths to try to do something good for the man trying to kill him, you know? Right. Um, I, you, I I'm trying to think. You you could label a character growth. You could label it again like an excuse for the script, um, which is fine. Like it it still works. But I think it's it's interesting that I'm not sure I wouldn't do the same. I feel like it's just one of those things where Ray is so 
childlike and in turn so genuine because of it that you know he he doesn't hold anything against harry like he understands what he's doing at the very least and why he's doing it obviously he doesn't want to die but he gets why harry's coming after him he doesn't hold anything against harry because you know they talk throughout the movie about how harry is this honorable guy he's done a lot for ken and finding his wife's killer and handling that and you know everything that he does for them actively i don't think there's that like personal grudge against you know between the two um you know harry's doing it because that's the code and ray understands that um but yeah i I feel like it's just like the genuine child like personality of ray that's like oh shit dude like don't do that like you don't got to do that um and you know so then that brings me to to Ralph Fine's point, which is the thing that really killed him's arrogance, isn't it? I, I mean, he if he had given a little bit of time, just just a passing moment, or or maybe his own maybe his own maybe the strictness of his own code, something like that. Because if he had given Ray the two seconds he needed to be like, that's a dwarf, not a kid, he, he'd have lived, you know? And obviously you can definitely still admire the virtue in what he was trying to do, you know, um, which was live up to his own code of ethics because he had believed he had murdered a child. But he, he didn't. And there was someone with that information standing right in front of him, and he was so blinded by his own code of ethics that he was willing to kill for it. Kind of like how he basically killed Ken like 10 minutes earlier. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I just, I really like that ending scene altogether. Oh, I love it. I think it's perfect. I just think it's really interesting. Like the, the, the base level motivations are understandable Mm -hmm. because they, they lay them out for you very explicitly, but there's still like a lot that happens within that scene. That's kind of, I don't know, just, just kind of interesting. Yeah. God, Ray is just such a, a, like there's a lot of layers to Ray. I love him as a character. Um, you know, I don't know where I'd put him on my list of top movie characters all time. I, you know, that's a deep list, but I feel like I'd have to put him on there. Like some of the, like, yeah, like throughout this movie, you see him being, you know, like, an arrogant dick, selfish, you know, self-centered. And then it just, on the other side of the spectrum, just this deep emotional remorse and just self-hatred because of the actions. And, you know, the one quote he says, uh, because of the choices I made and the course I put into action, a little boy isn't here anymore and he'll never be here again. I mean, not here in the world, not here in Belgium. And it's just like, wow, like... That is just so, so deep and, you know, self, self, whatever, and just so fucking hilarious at the same time, which is how he delivers that. Um, it just, I love the character so much. Like you have, you shouldn't like this character. Like he does not have very many redeeming qualities. He's just so lovable. Is, is this the movie you think of when you think of Colin Firth? Yes. You know what I think of every time every time I see him Colin, and Colin that, Farrell. Colin Farrell. Damn it. Yeah, Colin Firth is the English one. Um you know what you know what I always think of when I think of Colin Farrell? Uh Seven Psychopaths. No. Um 
his guest appearance in the TV show Scrubs. <laughs> really? Yeah, in which he visits, he's loitering around the hospital looking at looking after this guy, and the guys are like, oh, is he like your brother or your friend or something? And he was like, nah, I beat him the fuck up in a bar, and I was just checking to make sure he was okay. But I, I distinctly remember this one scene where JD's just trying to convince him to, to say uh, the lines from... Um, from the uh what's that fucking cereal with the with the goddamn irish the leper with the leprechaun uh lucky charms lucky charms trying to get him to say the lucky charm shit and then colin farrell very reluctantly says the lucky charm shit harsh stars <laughs> and clovers <laughs> and it's it just fucking so i just kept looking at this like shivering hitman who's sad thinking harsh stars <laughs> and clovers rotors and balloons <laughs> It just get, it just gets me. So that's how I think of Colin Farrell. For the as longest the, uh, time, I always thought of SWAT because I used to watch SWAT all the time. That movie like a SWAT kind of guy. Olds just like wet dream. Yeah. Um. I don't really. Again, I don't really have a lot of notes for it. Um. Again, just because I, I kind of was just watching. If we're being honest here. Um. I have one here about uh, the paintings in the museum. Some more symbolism for you. Lay it on me. Um, all of the paintings that they're looking at, like throughout the essentially the montage, are all uh, paintings of people being punished or judged for sins until they finally reach. You know, they come together and look at the the one very large painting, and they're discussing it, um, which is titled Judgment Day, which is you know God looking over the kingdom judging people for their sins and making that final decision, which I think, you know, in the realm of, or in the context of this being a movie about purgatory fits just super well. Um, and just kind of drives that home a little bit more. Um, and then later on when Ray is in that chase scene with, uh, Ralph Fiennes character, Harry, um, he's shot on the boat. Which, you know, the first six times I watched this movie, it's just like, okay, he's on a boat, he got shot. Uh, and then it was like, oh shit, like, let's dig in and see what the symbolism here is. But are you familiar with the River Styx? Yes, sir. Old mythology. Killed on the boat, the boat of the ferryman carrying the souls between the underworld and Earth. Um, I looked this up after the movie finished. Uh, the ferryman is classically paid in gold coins, which I drew back and connected to uh, Ken standing atop the clock tower, uh, looking over everyone. Kind of how the, the painting is laid out in Judgment Day um, and then drops the handful of coins in order to get Ray's attention and inevitably stop him from being killed by Harry. Uh, at least at that point in time. And then, you know, jumps off, kills himself, all that. So it, I don't know how much of a stretch it actually is or if it would even be considered a stretch, but I came up with it myself, so I believe in this wholeheartedly. Um, I, don't think, I don't think that's a stretch at all. And I'm actually going to add to it that uh, the, the, whole, the whole business where he's, where he's on the movie set when when Ralph Fiennes finally mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. does shoot him, that's uh, I, I think anyway supposed to represent the the painting that that you are referencing. Uh, 
the fuck uh the leah sadu character when she's introduced talks about the movie itself uh and i saw another video uh, a nerd writer video that talked about it but like that's very very you know close to home where it is a movie about this like dream sequence whatever it may be about you know life and death that sort of thing and you know that's why it was specifically chosen and why it is taking part of that like final scene um i wish i remembered to write that down and uh you know remember that kind of information but uh, that's so. okay um do you think that ray lives it's I left a kind of a cliffhanger i do not both realistically he should be long dead uh but uh, I feel like they would expect him like that. He was expected to be seen as or viewed as dead uh, by that ending scene. I don't want to say expected because they very much leave it up to interpretation. Uh, but yeah, I think he died. Oh yeah. Uh, for, for, for one, what you said and for two it's also if you want to be optimistic about it it's the it's the better ending for ray because his options are either he dies with kind of maybe maybe not the world's greatest sense of peace but with with some understanding of reconciliation for the events that transpired or or he lives and then dies in prison eventually after a very long and shitty recovery um it's probably not a great life from 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 there on out. He 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 did kill at least two people. Um, I I also I I thought of one other thing in terms of the uh, the 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 purgatory and sentencing and whatnot business. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna also go out on a limb here because I just thought of this kind of now and say that the the train that Ray gets on is the 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 stairway to heaven, and God's like. Nope. <laughs> Get the fuck off this goddamn train. You are you're going back down to purgatory. You've been rejected from heaven. Say hello to Satan. Get the fuck off my goddamn stairway. Oh, uh, those fucking Canadians. It's the fucking Canadians, man. Uh but yeah, I uh that's all I got. Um you got anything else? Uh I don't think so. All right, you, you give me a final rating and review um again i i love this movie so much you know one of my favorites uh the symbolism the fact that i can watch it and see the symbolism plays a big part in that i i really enjoy that i love the chemistry between all the characters i love the writing the the dark comedic aspects of it uh it it always leaves me chuckling even though i feel guilty about it in the end I want so bad to give this a five just because in my heart, I feel it, but realistically it, it's not a perfect movie. It, it It's not in that upper echelon of the other films that we hold there. Um, so I gave it a four and a half. I I'm waffling very heavily between the, uh, a four and a three and a half only because God damn it. I really do not like the first third of this movie. Um, but the rest of it's just so fucking good. Um, I'll give it a four. I think the other two thirds outweigh the 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 first third that I'm not a fan of. It's a really good movie. Stick it out if you're like me. Stick it out. 
Stick it out. It gets it gets better, my friends. It's rich with symbolism. It's dark. It's funny. Um, you don't have to get any of the symbolism to like it. If it all floats right over your head, it's still fun. <laughs> That's the best part. It doesn't ride and die by the symbolism. It does not live or fail by the symbolism. So it's, it's good. You'll survive. You'll get through it. You'll enjoy it. You'll be like, oh, look, that's an arm. Like, you know, it'll be it'll be a good movie. And if you know what I'm referencing, then, you know, like, yeah, that was that was definitely an arm. Uh, so, yeah, three. I'll say four 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 stars. It is uh, Corwin. Do you have your pick for next week? I do. Uh, Josh and I were talking about uh, Cinemascope, the old projection method and filming method back in the day. So I wanted to pick a Cinemascope movie. So I'm going to go with my favorite of them all, The Bridge on the River Kwai. Ooh, that is not what I thought you were going to pick. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Ah, I am overdue for a rewatch of that three-hour journey. <laughs> Such a good movie. Very excited. All right. Uh, I am going to pick so, um, uh, the 2002 movie uh, Frida, about the life and times of the Mexican painter Frida Kahlo. I've been meaning to rewatch this movie for a while. Um, I love Frida Kahlo. I actually just hung a Frida Kahlo poster up in, in my apartment, a nice framed picture of her in my apartment. Um, such, such an interesting painter and such an interesting life. Um, so it'll, if, if you're not usually into biopics, I happen to think that this one is one of the better ones. I, I, I am a big fan. I'm very excited to see, um, to just honestly live in that world again, because it's been a long time since I've seen it, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but yeah, that's all I got. That's I, that's the picture. I have not seen this movie. I just know that this is Salma Hayek unibrow. Yeah, this is this is this is like peak Salma Hayek too. Like this is back when she was doing like tons of Oscar. People look at Salma Hayek and think that she's just like you know the hot Hispanic woman because she is a very very attractive Hispanic woman. She's a hot Hispanic woman. <laughs> yeah, she 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 truly is. But like she did some really phenomenal films um, around this point in time. Uh, um, I would highly recommend looking into. So um, anyway, that's. Salma Hayek, uh, she's great. And your everything. movie has a hot Latina woman. My movie has Obi Wan Kenobi. So get over it. Yeah, you know it's it's pretty close. You're right. It's pretty close. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just saying only one of ours was in Wild Wild West. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so like that that that's it. Uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. You want to hit us up via email? You can do so at juice the numbers at gmail.com. And uh, until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye.